Good morning. I'm Shamita Basu. And I'm Duarte Geraldino. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them. But first, let's catch up with some of the day's top headlines. The world counts 20 million confirmed coronavirus cases today. That number doubled in just 45 days. The Wall Street Journal is reporting the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency is set to end Obama-era methane emissions regulations for oil and gas this week. And Russia announced today it has approved a coronavirus vaccine before the completion of wide-scale testing. Moscow is planning to distribute it to millions starting this month, a move outside scientists say is concerning. Many students around the country are already in class, and for most others, the first day of school is right around the corner, and a lot of teachers are anxious about returning to classrooms, worried they could get infected with COVID-19. Yeah, that anxiety is understandable. At the Georgia High School, where a photo of the crowded hallways went viral, that school has already reported nine positive cases and had to switch to virtual learning, at least for now, while it disinfects its facilities. The Wall Street Journal talked to teachers and school districts about protections they're putting into place. What's clear is that the two don't always seem to be on the same page. Yeah, for example, one middle school teacher in Oklahoma said his district is advising students and school staff to wear masks, but not making it mandatory. He's considering wearing medical scrubs, and he's ordered a face shield with a respirator for himself. Meanwhile, his superintendent says the district has already spent more than $50,000 on masks, hand sanitizer, and other equipment, with more protective gear on the way. Oh, all that back and forth can get confusing. You know, a teacher in Brooklyn told the Wall Street Journal he's been stocking up on masks because he's worried the city won't supply enough. He's also concerned about students who might be unable to afford protective equipment for themselves. And he makes a good point. He says students who can't afford lunch will most likely not be able to buy a face mask. You might be wondering, where are the teachers' unions in all of this? Well, they've been pretty vocal. The second largest teachers' union in the country, the American Federation of Teachers, their president, Randy Weingarten, has pointed out teachers are some of the only workers who are expected to buy their own supplies. And now this has become, quote, a matter of life and death. And the union said if by the end of the month, teachers' health and safety are not prioritized, it'll support strikes. One year ago this month, ICE agents raided poultry processing plants in Mississippi. They arrested hundreds of people across six cities. It was the biggest single-state raid targeting people suspected of illegally working in this country. Remember the news footage of kids left alone crying, not knowing what happened to their parents? My dad didn't do nothing. He's not a criminal or something. That's what the immigrants took them. Please let him free. People are still feeling the effects of that day, one year later. Immigrant rights advocates told CNN what ICE did in Mississippi affected thousands of people. According to the network's reporting, ICE arrested 680 plant workers. Most of them were released, 126 were indicted, 73 were convicted. ICE even dropped off some people back at the factories where they were picked up. It required many of them to wear GPS devices on their ankles and gave them instructions to check in with the authorities every month while they wait for trials. 
But some of these Mississippi poultry workers are in limbo. They can't find work, don't have medical insurance. And that's a scary situation to be in right now with COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And some of them have gone back to their country. Others are relying on charities for help. One Guatemalan father of five told CNN his immigration court date has been delayed by the pandemic until 2023. And in a way, he's grateful it's bought him time with his kids. He was able to get a one-year work permit. The chicken plant, where he's a mechanic, now has signs thanking its essential workers. His bosses know that police could stop him at any time, so they gave employees a letter to present to officers asking them not to detain people like him because they are, quote, critical to our nation's food supply. That's what happened to the workers. But you know there's another side of this, and I'm talking about the people who paid them to be in the plant. Mm -hmm. The Mississippi Clarion Ledger looks at the unequal consequences workers face compared to their bosses. Last week, federal prosecutors charged four lower-level plant managers with crimes that included offenses like giving out fake Social Security numbers and harboring undocumented immigrants. But so far, no company executives have been charged. And according to legal experts, it's unusual for employers to face any kind of jail time in cases like this. It's been a century since women in the United States gained the right to vote. And all month, we're highlighting some of the best reflections on this milestone, including a look at the pushback to the 19th Amendment, even from some women at the time. The Washington Post has the story on the role of anti-suffragists. This argument came from strict ideas about gender norms and this notion that women held a privileged position in society, that they held soft power in the households and by entering politics, that they'd have to get into an ugly male space. Right. But this was a movement generally happening among the upper class. You make a key point, because this group of women also argued taking part in politics would make it impossible for women to care for their children and look after their home. Mm. Now, reporter Samantha Schmidt describes how the anti-suffragists created committees and passed around petitions. They established associations in New York and Massachusetts that opposed women's rights to vote. Schmidt profiles some of the most famous anti-suffragists, and you might be surprised to hear about their lives and their careers. Like Annie Nathan Meyer, she was the founder of Barnard College, the first women's liberal arts college in New York City. Another anti-suffragist, Ida Tarbell, she was a pioneer of investigative journalism. Josephine Jewell Dodge, she helped start and became president of the National Association Opposed to Woman Suffrage. She was also very involved in the campaign to create child care centers in New York City for immigrants and mothers who needed to work to support their families. But after women began winning the right to vote in states across the country, the anti-suffragists found themselves in a really complicated situation. Mm-hmm. For example, a couple of years after Oklahoma gave women voting rights, the vice president of the Oklahoma anti-suffrage group became the second woman to serve in Congress. And don't you know, she became the first woman to represent Oklahoma. And finally, cancel your trip to Antarctica this year. That's what a lot of scientists who typically flock to the frozen continent in October are being told. Yeah, Antarctica is the only continent where there hasn't been a single case of COVID-19. And scientists are hoping to keep it that way, which means hitting pause on some field research and significantly cutting down on the sizes of teams that can travel there. According to National Geographic, Australia and Germany did that. They cut their teams by half, New Zealand by two-thirds. 
But for now, the plan is for the teams that do arrive on the continent to carry on as usual and to do what they can to keep long-term data collection programs up and running while hopefully keeping everyone safe in the process. You can find all those stories and more on the Apple News app. And while you're there, check out some of this week's audio stories, including a profile from the Times of London of the comedian Sarah Cooper and why her lip-syncing videos of Donald Trump have made her a comedy hero to many on the left. We'll talk with you again tomorrow.